0: Chief Executive Officer of Pro Level Training, the National Director of Nike Sports Camps, a former professional basketball player, and a renowned motivational speaker. A thought leader in the motivational category, Joel has a BA in Psychology from Ryder University, and brings his wisdom to business owners, entrepreneurs, and young audiences. Joel's book, Filtering, The Way to Extract Strength from the Struggle, is out now. We hope you enjoy. Joel Green, welcome to The Action Catalyst. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun to learn more about your new book that's out now called Filtering. I'm really curious about that concept, but I wonder if you could take us back in a little bit of a mini biography of your life and and share some of those major pivot points where things were going in a certain direction and something happened to make you move in a different direction. And over time, it culminated in the position of influence that you're in
1: today. I mean, I had quite a few of those, you know, so many pivotal moments, moments to where I had to suddenly shift unexpectedly, you know, shift as far as my mindset, not just a physical shift, emotionally. Um, you know, growing up, I went through a number of things early on that helped me develop, I dare say, a callous to different hardships, a callus to different difficulties in life. And many of those difficulties has helped me comparatively today when I'm going through a difficulty. I say, you know what? Don't sweat it too much because of what you've gone through, even at a young age. You know, growing up, I grew up in Philadelphia, North Philadelphia. Uh, I grew up in an abandoned home. Sounds pretty crazy, but you know we literally had graffiti on our on some of our walls, holes in the staircase that maybe my siblings used to play games on like hopscotch, just to hop around the hole so you don't get stuck, things like that. You know, it sounded like it was fun in games, but in hindsight, as I began to get older, I'm like that's that was a difficult time, you know, to not have hot water sometimes, and my older siblings had to go next door with pots and pans from our parents to get hot water, and we have to come back and sit them on top of the heater, so we had hot water. You know, different things like that helped me to really grow up and say, you know what? I know where I came from. I know what tough feels like. I I witnessed violence early on, being close to a shooting when I was six years old, things like that. I don't sweat too much nowadays. And people will see me in a positive light, call me an optimist. I'm just really grateful. It's not being optimistic. I'm just grateful to be here and I'm grateful to have an opportunity to
0: succeed at something. I think that's an incredible story. Because not everybody chooses to respond in the way you did. Can you share maybe why you feel like you had that inner ability to to respond to this in a grateful way, not a harsh way, not in a giving up way?
1: You know what? In my household, my parents literally told us we're not allowed to say can't. And it may sound cliche, it may sound a little corny, but we we got in trouble. I, I got in trouble, I remember when I was eight years old, for saying can't. And I didn't eat that night. I'll, I'll put it that way. That type of belief system helped develop... That I can attitude to, to where, despite what was going on in life, no matter what was going on internally or externally, I could still do something great beyond what occurred. You know what I began writing about, and what I began speaking on to different audiences over the years was this this method of filtering that I came up with just to distract myself. To be honest, difficult things would be going on, and I would distract myself by setting a goal to not think on the difficulty. I just began extracting. Some good stuff from the bad stuff, and they became my driving force. Hmm. Well, let's let's
0: dig into that. Your book is called Filtering: The Way to Extract Strength from the Struggle. Can you expand on some of those principles of filtering, and first how you used it, and then how everybody can use it?
1: Well, absolutely. So filtering itself—it's a method that I've used just to, like I said, to really you know break my situations down so that I'm not overwhelmed by them. You know, so much of what we go through shuts us down and stops us and makes us quit at different things, various ventures and goals. Because we're overwhelmed it's too big of a feat by filtering the experience whatever the circumstance is you know you're able to break things down you lean into it as opposed to try to ignore it and run from it and you, you literally will say okay what can i take from this situation to actually pro- propel me further as opposed to just living on the surface of our situations the surface generally is always difficult. But when you dig into it, you lean into it a little bit more, you find that seed of positivity within it, some type of driving force. And that comes by way of filtering and just breaking down your situations and learning how to properly make adjustments. And as we do these these things, we'll start to see so many opportunities that exist within things that seems non-opportunistic. I'll put it that way, camouflage opportunities. That's something that I'm big on. There's so much in front of our eyes that... We don't even see. And if if we dare lean into them, by way of filtering what we have going on, we'll actually gain foresight into what's taking place as opposed to going through something and having to wait on hindsight to reveal the answer to us. Man, I love that approach. Honestly, it's a game for me now. And that's one thing I've been telling people. I said, life will become fun when the difficulty isn't even a difficult thing for you anymore. Because now you even take those things on as a challenge to improve. You, you always see an opportunity to improve. I tell people now I'm undefeated. I win some and I learn some. I don't lose. I'm undefeated. Huh?
0: <laughs> I win some and I learn some. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Now, I know along the way you've hit numerous brick walls. What can you share with us on some ways to figure out what to do when our progress is completely
1: stopped? <clears throat> well, number one, be transparent. You know, be transparent with yourself to begin with, not just with other people. You know, we always talk about transparency with, you know, with other people and, being open and honest, you have to do that with yourself first. And if you don't start there, even when you talk to someone else, it won't fully come out. So when we hit a brick wall, realize okay, something got me. I, I'm stuck, and I understand that. I notice it now. It's the proper, the perfect time to try and make an adjustment, and and not allow for that that difficulty, that obstacle, that failure to to be an endpoint. It has to be a midpoint. And realizing that you're just literally in a process right now. That's how I look at every failure. I, I literally see it as a, as a midpoint for
0: me. It's never an end point. That is so great because that forces you to realize there's gonna be a sun coming up tomorrow. There is something after this thing. It's not an end, it's a midpoint. That's a great mindset to
1: take to it. I try to remind myself as fast as I possibly can. That's the thing too, and I speak on that often. We have to remind ourselves as quick as we possibly can that it's a process, it's a process, it's a process as opposed to this was it. As soon as I'm able to remind myself of that, I take one more step forward, and that's all I need half the time. Well, that's true. That one more step can often be the difference
0: maker. Joel, how do, how do you keep growing personally? I mean, you've had a career as a professional basketball player. You're a highly successful entrepreneur with a pro level training, expanding into many different states, all parts of the world eventually. You're very recognizable as a product spokesperson and model, you're a speaker. What do you do to, to avoid that sense of getting complacent and just kind of wanting to coast a bit?
1: I don't know how this really sounds, but I celebrate less, right? I enjoy my moments, believe me. So I internally, I celebrate, but externally, I don't allow for the celebration to make me stagnant. I enjoy all that I do. I'm grateful for all that I'm able to achieve. I thank God for it, and then I keep moving forward. I know what it feels like to become complacent. I felt that as an athlete before, and I saw the resulting factor was I played a little worse the following season, but I became complacent after a victory. And I said, okay, I did great. And I celebrated during the off season, I come back as a lesser athlete the next year. I said, okay, I'm not doing this again. I'm going to celebrate for, you know, a day or a moment. And I'm going to move on to the next goal. And that's one of the main things for me to where when I achieve something, you know, I, I, I try my best, to, you know, to have a, a, a mindset of humility. You know, you've done this. Great job. Don't be high on yourself. Another thing that also helps me out is having a heart of expectancy. So, I'm big on when I set a goal for myself, I visualize this goal to a T. I'm talking about to the, to the points where I feel like as if I already have it before I even scrape the surface of touching it. There's an exercise that I do. I take myself through and I feel what I'm about to go after. So that once I'm already pursuing it, I feel like I already have it. I expect it to occur. So once I finally get it, I'm not celebrating so high as if it was something I've never done before. In my mind, and my heart, I've already done it. And so once I get it done, I'm already working on the next thing. Can you share a little bit about the role of other people that keep us on track? Absolutely. I mean, There's a number of people. My parents to begin with, you know, my parents are amazing. They're, you know, two of the most intelligent people I know. You know, I dare say they are the two most intelligent people I know. They've taught me so much and still are. I'll reach out to them. If I'm going through a difficulty, a challenge, I figure they have some type of, if they don't have the answer, they have something that can lead me to the answer. Uh, mm-hmm. They're two pastors. They're preachers. So, you know, they're, they're well-read. They, they, they know a lot about life. They help guide other people. Those are two of my guides. And I have some other mentors as well. Former coaches, one of my high school coaches, he's become like an uncle to me to where I can reach out to him for anything. Uh, just a bit of advice. He will be very open and honest with me and that's exactly what I need. And that's why I, I will hope that when someone's going through something, don't reach out to that yes friend all the time. Don't reach out to the yes mentor all the time reach out to that person that may strike you deep, you know, with some of their remarks. But what you have to realize is a lot of times they'll be striking gold. You know, a lot of people aren't willing to strike deep. Those aren't the ones you always need to reach out to. For me, I reach out to those people like my brother, my sister, my parents, that can literally tell me what it is and what I need to do and not try to butter me up. The ones that'll speak truth to you because they love you enough to do that. Absolutely, I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Now, you work some
0: really long days. You, need, you take a lot of pride in your work ethic. Do you have a, a morning routine that just starts every day in a very much similar manner?
1: Yeah. So, you know, preferably, you know, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I I'll, I'll, I'll pray to begin the day for a good 20 minutes or so. Pray, form of meditation beyond that point by just sitting still, thinking about whatever comes to mind, to be honest with you. As I prep for my day, I go ahead and I work out, do a physical workout for the day for about an hour or so. Usually wake my son up by the time we work out together and he prefers to work out in the morning. He's nine years old, but he's already, you know, a, a little version of me. So we work out and then I get to work after that point, I, you know, do business and uh, start to prep the emails and calls and things that I sort. For me, it's so important to to maximize from my end to maximize on the hours of the day. Uh, and I realized that the earlier I began, I got it from being an athlete. I'll be honest with you. I picked up that characteristic, you know, from the athletic side of things. As I would start my day at that time around 430 and be out on the track and, you know, get my early workout. And I used to tell myself the earlier I began, the more training I can get in throughout the day. The more training equates to me improving. I carry literally the same mentality in business now uh, that I carry as an athlete.
0: You know, part of your interesting background is the fact that you played professional sports in Europe. You played in Ireland, a couple of other countries. What are some of the insights you got from coaching styles that people in other countries might practice that that maybe people in America just don't listen to that much or know much about?
1: Well, I, I saw abroad that they're very, very regimented. Like we would do something a thousand times. Hmm. And I loved it. That, that's the way I train now. I'll be honest. I, a lot of the ways that I, I run my business and the way I train different athletes is I picked up a number of those characteristics from Europe. We would literally go into practice in some of our training sessions and work on two things. Here in America, we may work on about four to five things of wor- a workout. Over there, we worked on about two things and they wanted us to get it down that day. So we would do it hundreds of times, that one workout, just to make sure we were comfortable enough by the end of that workout to properly execute whatever we were taught. That mentality over there of perfection rapidly, you know, versus over here to it where it's a bit more gradual, a little more intense, I feel like, over here as far as the athletic side. But I saw the, the the regiment side over there was just a little different. And uh, it, it added to me because I was able to bring the attributes from here in America and also pick up on things over there. So it, it helped me to become a melting pot of, of, you know, some great tools. That's good. And probably those people in Ireland that never
0: met a guy from North Philly before.
1: Never, never. <laughs> never. Uh, that was the funny thing, man. Just just relating to one another, it was it was a challenge at first, I'll admit, um, but I mean, we we loved each other. You know, after a while, it was, it was a huge culture shock for me. I, it was my first time being over there. And number one, the environment was a culture shock. It rained every... My first four months there, it rained every day. And uh, I mean, literal. Not in... You know, I'm not exaggerating. It rained at some point every single day. I said, okay, no wonder it's so green over here. It's, it's just everything being watered. <laughs> Well, a
0: couple of things I wanted to ask you about. You have a philosophy that the fun doesn't come first. We need to stop looking at the struggle as something that's a negative. Could you expand on that for us?
1: Absolutely. You know, for me, the struggle is truly, that's where the fruit is. You know, we we don't always realize it because it hurts. The struggle is usually painful. The, str- the struggle is difficult, but it's always something on the other side. And usually on the other side of a struggle, it's something good because it can't go any worse. You know, so it's like when people kind of have the proper perspective and vantage point and see a struggle as, okay, I'm going to get, I'm not, when I'm in it, I gonna get through it because on the other side, it has to be something better. You're already at the bottom. That's how I look at a struggle. Like, okay, I'm in it. It's tough. It's difficult. It is. It's a challenge. But man, if I just continue to persist, if I just dare myself to keep moving forward in some form, in some fashion, it's a guarantee. I dare say a guarantee of something good coming up. If I continue to move forward, if I don't move forward, I may be stuck in this bad place for a really long time. The fun not coming first, that's what it's about. I lean into the process of things. I fully embrace the process of, of whatever it takes to get to the greater side of the greater good of things. You know, me waking up, perfect example, me waking up at you know 5 a.m. to work out, that's not fun, you know? That's uh, not an enjoyable thing. I, I will be the first to say, it. like, I enjoy, you know, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. I enjoy the results of training and working out more than I do working out. And I want to enjoy the results of it. That side is fun for me. But the fun doesn't come first. The fun comes through working hard, getting in the gym and doing XYZ so that, you know, you can enjoy the the fruitful and fun side after the fact.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing I'm really impressed with what you just said, Joel, is when you spoke about why not keep going in the struggle because it can't get any worse. It can only get better. But if I stop, it may stay worse. Exactly. It's like the old saying, when you're going through hell, keep going.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <That's amazing.
1: laughs> exactly. It's
0: funny. You also have a, a statement. You say, real life makes an impact. Stop living through false narratives.
1: There's so many false narratives out there. We're, we're, we're in a day and age, you know, with social media and I dare say so many falsehoods, you know, to where things appear perfect. You know, we, we want to live the perfect life. We want to be perfect individuals. Don't try to be perfect. You know what I mean? The, the real side of things includes imperfection, embrace your imperfections, embrace your insecurities. And I can speak on this now because I've lived it. I've been very insecure. I've, I've had anxieties as a result of my insecurity. So that's like just doubling up. Took me a while to finally say, you know what, dude, be imperfect. It's okay. You're human. And it didn't, I didn't realize that until I began finally expressing my imperfections, ex- expressing my insecurities to other people. And that was exactly the moment when I began to see, oh, other people are also imperfect in this area, also insecure in that area. And I began embracing my insecurities. I said, okay, I'm not perfect here. You know what? Now I, I start to realize every imperfection or every insecurity is nothing but grounds and a foundation for every improvement. So it's like every improvement starts somewhere. It usually starts with an insecurity of some sort or starts with an imperfection. Embrace them and just build upon them if you actually have to, or just accept those things.
0: You know, so many people, I think particularly young people, are caught up in their image because they look at somebody else's social media posts where their image looks so glamorous, their life looks so much fun. And inevitably, we make comparisons and we end up feeling a little bit short, which makes us feel worse. doesn't get any better.
1: We're put here to be us. You know, you're put here just to be you. You know, I'm put here just to be me. And obviously, us being us, we're put here to help influence and impact other people. We're not just put here for ourselves, but we are put here to be ourselves when we're trying to be everyone else or everything else, we can tell inside our, our heart, our, our conviction tells us we're not being truly who we are. I'll be honest. I, I have to remind myself of this today, you know, often, you no, know, be you, you know, say what you would say, do what you would do. And, uh, you know, I had the most comfort at that point.
0: Which I guess is another benefit of staying busy because when you have a lot on you, there's just not enough energy to be somebody else and be yourself.
1: <laughs> that, that's you're speaking the truth. I mean, that's that's man. I mean, yeah, you, you don't have the time to, to fake it. You don't have time to be, you know, outside of who you naturally are. And that's that's so true. Yeah. Well, I, I dig that. That makes a lot of sense. For sure. One
0: other quick question. You you talk about how you can train our brains to default to something instead of making excuses to default to some different pattern there. What what do you mean by train our brain into a different
1: default mode? Well, I mean, that's that's a key thing. You know, that's something I've had to work on. And I still work on as far as training myself to to have my, my most ideal reaction by default. I've had talks with people to where it's like, you wanna respond instead of reacting, right? So you wanna have a greater response because the reaction is literally an action based off of what someone else made you do. So mm-hmm. that means they're in essence controlling what you do. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. I don't like always reacting because now I'm not in full control of my actions. So I choose and prefer to respond because I feel like that's coming from me. And that comes by way of me training myself, You know, going through different situations to where I say, okay, take a quick second before you even have a response of any sort. That way it won't come out as an impulsive reaction. Training your default is not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. It takes you taking a moment before even acting in any way, just breathing, stopping, and thinking for a quick second you know, we can think over 30 thoughts every second, you know, every minute rather. We can think up. you know, if we just take a minute, we can have so many thoughts, but we choose not to have to take a minute just to kind of process things, to breathe. And for me, that was one of the main ways I trained my default response. And my default thinking was, okay, when something happens, take a moment for yourself to just process it. Literally take a minute, take, you know, 30 thoughts and see what you can come up with before you get back to the other person, before you react, that way you'll have a better response. Because mm-hmm. that react is kind of a primitive reaction to,
0: to whatever's going on, the fight or flight triggers, and we just absolutely uh, later on usually regret when we,
1: when we lose. And I know because I, you know, I, I've had plenty of regrets based off of you know negative re- reactions. So I said, man, I have to stop that. Oh, I think that's fantastic.
0: Joel, one of the kind of big category things I hope you could touch on is some words of encouragement. You know, we've got listeners from all around the world, some of whom are just trucking through life. Things are just going brilliantly for them. They're happy with everything. On the other end of the spectrum, we got some people right now that are really struggling. They're just really down, really discouraged. What advice would you give to somebody that just doesn't know what
1: to do next? Question the situation, you know, as opposed to just questioning why me or why God or if they're religious, you know, whatever the case is, question the situation. But when painful circumstances come my way, I don't always just question the surface of what's going on. I try. It's not always easy, but I try to, to ask myself, what can I get from this? I know this is you know, happening to me, but can I change my vantage point to see if it's happening for me? And that's a big thing because when we're emotional, when we're in our feelings for too long, we forget that there's another side to what we're going through or potentially another side. It doesn't seem that way. But when you begin to question the situation, as opposed to just questioning the surface of it, oh, why did they do that to me? Or why is this going on? Why did my boss do the Things like that. That's the surface. If you start to hold yourself accountable a little bit more and say, okay, what can I do to change right now that can help influence a change within what I'm going through? When we change, the things around us change. So if you lean into the situation and question the situation and say, okay, how can I change right now to help potentially better this situation? I, I, I know you'll come up with great answers. You'll come up with different people to reach out to. You'll start to realize that you have help because you'll start to come up. You'll start to brainstorm. That's what truly was taking place. That's what filtering is. Filtering Is a creative brainstorming process to where you, again, you break the situation down, you question the situation so that you begin to really draw out the fruits from that situation. You start to have things revealed to you like, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. You know what? I met that person three months ago that I can actually, they gave me their card. I can reach out to them now. They're a therapist or, okay, they're in that business. I'm struggling in my business right now in this facet, but they can help fill that void. But it takes us leaning into the situation and questioning how can we become better right then and there while everything feels worse? Woo. Man, that is so great
0: because what it's saying is if people, to treat themselves like they're a victim of a circumstance, they're never going to get past it. Absolutely. But if instead they ask the question, what can I change about me? Because I think about how many times I personally have kind of shaken my fist at the world and said, this isn't fair. What is not fair is this happening? It shouldn't be, but that doesn't get us anywhere.
1: That's the main thing. I, I never forget. and it's- This comes up in my mind often. When I was 17 years old, I lost my tragically lost one of my older brothers. I, I was mad at the world. I was mad at <laughs> just life for a moment. I, I dare say I was mad at God. You know, I, And I'm a religious person. And I never questioned God like that. I never questioned the world like that. I never questioned myself, like, why, why is this going on? But there were things that he used to tell me to do. And I, weren't, I wasn't doing them at the moment. Do better as fool. Do better at, you know, if you say you're serious and you want a scholarship to college, you have to do X, Y, and Z. He'd been around. He played basketball before me. He had a, he had a name for himself and things like that. So he knew what he was talking about. But I took things easy. I was a teenager. But when he, when he passed away, I said, okay, after a while, this wasn't immediate, but what can I do? Number one, to take my mind off of these things. Like I said, I used to set goals as distractions for myself, but what can I do to help improve this, this situation that I'm going through? that can help alleviate this pain a little bit. And the moment I questioned the situation and put myself in the forefront of the change, that's when things changed and I began studying more. And I made the honor roll for the first time in my life. This was my senior year of high school. It took me 12 years to finally make the honor roll. And I made it two months after he passed away for the first time ever. And then I also earned multiple Division One scholarship offers two months later. So the moment I held myself accountable for the change, that I wanted to see. That's when it changed. came.
0: fantastic, Joel. Time with you flies, my friend. This is just terrific <laughs> conversation. I want to thank you for everything you shared. It's inspired me. I know it's inspired our listeners. Right, thanks
1: so much. I, I really truly appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action
1: Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.